Well, again, I just want to say happy Mother's Day as well. May your restaurant times not exceed an hour uh, later, later today. Hopefully all that goes smoothly for you. I love how grateful and, and sentimental we get on days like today with Mother's Day. You know, we, we kind of have this, this framework in mind that, Mom, today... Today is the day that we're going to be so grateful and thankful for you for all the years that you've spent taking care of us and doing all the things for us. So, so for one day out of the year, you know, we'll get you some lunch and some flowers and some chocolates, you know, maybe let you take a nap or, or something like that. Uh, all the other days of the year, good luck. You know, well, you, you know, you, you do your thing, mom. Um, but we all know what moms really want. It, it's not to be constantly needed for silly things. That, that's really one. Can I, can I get an amen from, from some of the moms in here? Like some, some of you know, like that it gets, or, or maybe it's to really just be able to use the bathroom in peace. I know, I know that's, a, that's, a, that's a big one too, not having the kid, you know, come and, and knock on the door constantly. Um, I, I've heard rumors, for example, not that this has ever happened in our house ever, and this is not personal, you know, experience at all, but I've heard rumors that, that kids will go from one side of the house to the other looking for mom, 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 where are you? I need help with something like that and pass dad like five or six times on the way. I mean, it can be sitting on the couch next to dad. Dad, can, you know, mom, can you help me open, the, you know, open this package or something like that? Weren't you sitting next to your father? Yes. Why didn't you ask him? Ah, because he's going to say no or something. Yes, you're, yes, because I'm trying to teach him self-sufficiency. Um, uh, so kids, you know, and, and listen, mom, mom, moms, just like everyone else, they love to feel needed. They want to be wanted and all of those good things. But I, I'll let you know, just a little bit of self-sufficiency beyond just one time a year will go a long way for your mom. So kids, listen to your mom, no matter how old you are. Listen to your mom. Clean yourself and your stuff up every once in a while. Do the dishes just without being asked. Make your bed, and you'll blow her away more than just one day a year. That's the kind of stuff that gets moms, that gets dads, gets parents just really excited when Something that maybe you've asked somebody to do countless times over and over again. Um, when, when your kids do something they know they're expected to do without being asked to do it, that's, there's a special moment. And there's, now, I'll let you know what it feels like when that happens. Uh, but I just imagine that's, that that's a really special, meaningful moment in, in life. And we're not talking about complicated things, just normal expected things. Like, hey, clean your room up every once in a while. Make your bed, you know, occasionally. Put your dirty clothes in the laundry. Shut your drawers. You know, you've got clothes laying all over the place. Just take care of it every, every once in a while. The constant reminding of what one already knows is expected of them, it's kind of frustrating, to, to be honest. And that's a, that's a parental thing. But some of us can, uh, like, we can do a, a sideways shift, you know, left-hand turn right here and, and, and know that all of us know exactly what that's like. Whether it's at home, whether it's at work, whether it's with friendships, whether it's wh- whatever it is. I mean, if, if somebody doesn't know, doesn't do what's expected of them, we know how frustrating those can- kinds of things can do. And it gets worse and worse when we continually don't follow through. It's easy to pay lip service to say what we're about and what we care about, and mom, mom I, we just love you so much, and we're so grateful for all the things that you do. And then the next day, we're like, hey, have you done my laundry yet? You know, uh, where's my dinner? You know, what are we having? Oh, we're having that again? Oh, why can't we? You know, you know those, those kinds of things happen all, all the time. Mom, I love you, but I'm not really going to listen to anything you say. You know, at some point, it's like, oh, maybe, maybe there's a disconnect in what we're saying and what we're doing. What ultimately matters is really what we decide to do. And over the last couple of weeks, as we've been talking about the kingdom of God and what it is and what it looks like and how we operate, it, operate within it as citizens of the kingdom, um, 
we've been talking about how Jesus came to be Savior, but also to be Lord. And part of the kingdom of God is, is not just what we get to experience and the rights and responsibilities we get to enjoy in our role as citizens, but it's also about what we produce and what we import and export into our lives. And so Jesus provides a parable that describes exactly how the kingdom of God operates when it comes to what we know about the kingdom versus what we do about it. So I want to share this brief parable, and then a little bit we're going to be in John chapter 15. All right. So in Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse 28, this is what Jesus says. What do you think? There is a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I won't, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did his... did? Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. Now, in the context here, Jesus is speaking to and, and really against the chief priests and the Pharisees, uh, the people who were the re- religious rulers of the day, with they speaking against them with this teaching because they thought of themselves in terms of what they hadn't done versus what they were doing. And so their sense of superiority over other people was like, well, we have not sinned nearly as bad as these other people. But Jesus was much more concerned about what they were doing in their life and how they were responding to the kingdom of God. And this idea that tax collectors and prostitutes, these other people, could be in a better position in the kingdom of God versus themselves was deeply offensive to them. After all, their sin would, wouldn't come even close you know, to what these other people had done in their, in their lives. But because they were rejecting Jesus and the results presented by Jesus coming— all of these people re- repenting and turning back to God in their life, their faith was amounting to nothing more than lip service. And so while they were talking the talk better, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, everyone else, the sinners who were responding to Jesus, they were walking the walk better because they were responding to the good news. And this is a major contrast in how the kingdom of God works and operates versus how uh, much of religious expression works. And here's what I mean when I say this. Religious devotion is often measured most by what people proclaim, but participation in the kingdom of God is measured by what one produces. So what we proclaim matters, that's a part of it, but even more so is what we do as a result of what we proclaim and what Jesus has said. A person, a country, a religion can make a claim about what they're about so they can say, hey, this is what we're about. But we all know that our perspective on what someone is about actually comes about by what happens in their life, what they produce, what they do. And so whatever that religion is, that belief system, that kingdom, you know, whatever that is in life, that's what we look to. We look at the, the results. Every kingdom has imports and exports, and so does every life. So does every one of us. So, so let's, let's take the United States, for example, and, and, and think about what, what you think the United States is, is all about. Whatever that might be, in, in your opinion, is fine for this, for this exercise. And let me, let me share with you what our top exports and imports are for a country. All right, so top exports for the United States, some of you might have a guess, like think in your mind, see if you're right. Our top export is refined petroleum. All right? Uh, crude petroleum is number two, 
then cars is number three, integrated circuits, number four, and petroleum gas rounds out the top five. All right, so basically, you know, we export freedom, right? Ford, Chevy, and gas and oil. I mean, that, that's, that's, uh, that's, what we're, that's what we're all about, right? All right, now for our imports, all right, what we bring in. Our top most import are cars, then computers. Packaged medication is number three. Doesn't that make us feel warm and, and fuzzy? Uh, maybe explains a lot. Uh, broadcasting equipment and crude petroleum are the top, top five. Now, it's interesting when you look at that kind of information. It's e easy to find that. I mean, you can Google that. You can look, you know, there's data that's measured over the years. This is from 2020 data because they're not caught up to 21 and 22. Uh, there's somewhat of a paper trail. Like, we can, we can see all those things. Uh, we can touch and see and use those things that we export and import. Well, the kingdom of God has imports and exports too, just like our lives do, but because it competes with our cultural context, it can be much more difficult to measure and determine what those things are in our life if we're not really paying attention and evaluating what those are, if our perspectives aren't adjusted to be looking for or being involved in what God is doing in, in the kingdom. And so as we talked about a couple weeks ago, as Jesus teaches us how to pray, that our focus should be thinking along the lines of God's kingdom coming, his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. What we're taking in and putting out should be natural products of God's will being done in our lives, not the will of some other kingdom or some other thing that's going on. All right, so we're going to talk about how that works from John chapter 15. And we're going to read a couple chunks of text from there this morning. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to open up there and kind of leave it there so you can skim it as we go. That would be great. But this is from John chapter 15, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 8 in this first chunk. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples." This idea of the vine is very common to people that Jesus is teaching to. I mean, this, this imagery is used throughout the Old Testament as Jesus walks up to the temple that everybody else is coming to to worship in, in Jerusalem. To worship in, in Jerusalem, there's a, there's a vine, you know, picture, golden picture of a vine that's there over the, the entrance. People would have understood this imagery and picked it up because this is representative of the kingdom of Israel. I mean, this is this, is this imagery here, and here Jesus is using this teaching and this imagery to describe how, hey, things are shifting and things are changing. God has sent me and I'm, I'm the vine. Like this is, this is how this works. And, and this, is, this is how God bears and produces the fruit of his kingdom within, within the world. Vineyards were common in this culture. Wine was one of the preeminent uh, primary drinks of the day. And vines, they knew how vines needed to be tended. They knew how they needed to be taken care of. They knew what it meant to have a good, productive vine. You know, the vine was just producing, you know, it could be a strong branch, but it just had leaves on it. You know, it wasn't producing grapes. So that, that's kind of an unnecessary thing for that vine to have there. So we'll prune it off. We'll cut it off so all the nutrients can go to actually growing grapes on, on that vine to help produce the most fruit. 
this is uh, this is this is you know what people understood. They could observe this every every day. For a vine to be doing its job, it needed to produce it needed to produce grapes. And so Jesus uses this picture to let everyone know what he expects out of his disciples. And it is, I want you to produce good fruit. Like that's that's a part of the kingdom of God. Is this is a natural byproduct of of what's happening. And so this is something that we should be looking for to happen in our lives. And he wants us to make sure we know our place in this metaphor. We're the branches. He's the vine. He's the one that causes all the growth. He's what brings in the good nutrients. Like this is, this is where we should be importing the things that we need to have the export that God calls us to have in the kingdom. Jesus' goal for his followers is that they bear fruit. And the reason why is because fruit points to and reveals to what our attachments are. And so when we look at our life, when we evaluate things verse, you know, by what Jesus calls us to do and to be in our lives, when we look at the fruit we produce, we can kind of tell, oh, is this because of my attachment to Jesus or my attachment to some other kingdom in this world? Jesus, combined with us, produces the fruit of the kingdom of God. Last week, we talked about the foundation for the kingdom of God to grow in our life. It's the seed of God's word. So we, we looked at the parable of the soil and, and what that looks like to tend our soil. It's God, God's word planted and nurtured in our lives. It's what we should be importing. It's also what we should be exporting, taking it and putting it into practice. So just as we might look at what a kingdom imports and exports, we evaluate what kind of fruit we're bearing in our life. That's what Jesus has called us to do. And to do that, we come back to the foundational principles we talked about over the last couple weeks. Jesus is the king. He's not just savior. He's also Lord and that we are citizens of the kingdom of God, God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. And as Jesus continues in John 15, he identifies exactly what fruit we're meant to produce and where it comes from. So John chapter 15, verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know its master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command love each other. That's the fruit. That's what we're called to bear in our lives, is love. And so here's what determines our fruitfulness as Jesus provides this teaching for us. One, remain in God's love. And two, love one another as Jesus has loved us. Now, when, when we read passages like this, there are a couple of reactions that we should have. One is, okay, this is a really specific direct teaching from Jesus about what it looks like and means to be a disciple. Right, very, very direct. This is what it looks like. This is what it should be. The second reaction that we should have is a question. Do I look like a disciple? Is, is this what I'm producing in my life? What does it look like in my relationships? Am I producing the fruit of love? There's a high, both a high standard for a worldview and mental models to be directed by God's commands within the context of his word and an understanding that love is not defined by what we feel, but through self-sacrifice in our relationships as is modeled by Jesus in following through with God's commands. And when combined together in our lives, this produces tangible fruit that we share with one another and sharing God's joy with us. 
I mean, that's, that's the end result, is that we get to share the goodness of that fruit together. I will never forget the first time that I ever had fresh pineapple. And some, some of you misheard me when I said that, because you might have heard the first time I ever had pineapple. Or you might have thought pineapple that didn't come from a can, but that's not what I said. The first time I ever had fresh pineapple. So I'm not talking about the canned stuff. I'm not talking about going to the grocery store, like even a high-end grocery store here in the United States and getting it from the produce section and cutting it all off myself, and it was just this perfect fresh pineapple. I'm talking about when I had it the most closest to the source that I've ever had it. And this was in the Philippines, all right? So the Philippines is home to one of the largest, if not the largest, pineapple plantations that exist on the planet, all right? So there's a lot of fresh pineapple over there. And the first time I ever had fresh pineapple, it blew my mind. And I, I don't, some of you may have had this experience before, but I mean, it was, it was pineapple, right? It tasted like pineapple, okay, first of all, but it was perfectly sweet and it melted in my mouth. I mean, there's just something about now, I, you know, I'm, I'm not bragging or anything, but I, I mean, some of you maybe feel a little bit jealous. You should because it was that amazing. I mean, it was just incredible. And I will never forget that moment. That happened when I was 12 years old. Right? So, I, I mean, that has, that has lasted with me for a really long time. That was an, an amazing experience. Um, other pineapple, and I'll still eat pineapple. You know, I'll eat it with cottage cheese. Haven't had it like that in years, though. Is that weird? Pineapple and cottage cheese, is that a thing? We had that as a kid. Uh, pineapple upside down cake, like any of that kind of stuff. I, I still love pineapple, but none of, the, none of the rest will ever compare to that fresh pineapple that I had there closest to the source. And there are plenty of other kingdoms of this world that have pale imitations of what constitutes a fruitful life. Uh, but the people who have brought the most constant joy and love in my life are people who have the most consistently loved and supported me, um, you know, whose strength and character and kindness and admirable living, the people I want to be most like, are those who are bearing fruit as disciples of Jesus. It's, it's just not even close. I can look categorically through my life and see who are the most impactful, uh, the most special, the people that have, have been long, most long-lasting, that have left the, the deepest, greatest impact on my life, and it's just not even close. And I get, I get that we could look at that and say, some, somebody could easily say, dude, that's anecdotal. I mean, that's, yeah, your life experience, but I, I have this different experience, I, you know, that I can say that I've had this good experience with other people too. But I could also identify it as being exactly what God said is the result of following Jesus too. It didn't happen accidentally. It's, it's, it's not just something that comes along just because that person, you know, happens to be a good person. It's, it's exactly what God does in and through each and, every, each and every one of us. It's exactly how the kingdom of God is meant to operate. And so the import and the export in the life of a disciple of Jesus looks like this. We import the commands of God, just as Jesus says, I remain, remain in my love. And we export the love of God, as defined by Jesus, loving one another as Jesus has, has loved us, self-sacrificially based on who God is and what he commands in our life. And when we are connected to the vine, when we remain in Jesus, our life will look drastically different than it does when we are finding our nutrients and inspiration elsewhere. And the best way to track the progress of our fruit production, it will always, for me, be Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, where Paul identifies exactly what the fruit of love in following Jesus looks like in our life. Here's what he says. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, 
gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. These are the character traits. This is the fruit that flows out of a person that is connected to Jesus. A person that is living a life that does not show these traits or are not actively trying to improve or, you know, have these traits in their life, you know, because ain't none of us perfect, right? So we all, all need those efforts, you know, to, to continually improve in these areas in our life. If, if nobody's trying for that um, in their character is, is a person who has become less and less connected to the vine, uh, maybe like they could be or, or should be in their life. And so I, I want to encourage you to think about this this week and evaluate yourself and your, the fruitfulness of your life, not based on how much money you make, um, not based on how big your house is, not, not based on the self-worth that you feel that you get from your job, not based on um, whatever hobbies that you have, not, not based on anything else that's temporal here in this life that uh, maybe even you know, makes you feel happy in the moment, not another person, uh, not another experience that you're chasing, not another vacation, whatever, whatever it may be. But, but to, look, to, to look at how the fruit of the Holy Spirit is, is being made evident in who you are because of what Jesus has done in your life. And I, I just want to encourage you, if you don't have this list, you know, this passage committed to memory, maybe, that, maybe that's your thing this week as you commit, commit, this, commit this to memory. While these come as a package deal, you know, this is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, not the fruits. So it's all, all comes together into one thing. Um, I just want to encourage you to pick one of these this week as a guide for how you deal with your relationships. So when, when, when Jesus says the fruit of being connected to the vine is, is love, like this is what I've commanded you, I love, love one another. These are, these are the ways that we love each other. And maybe there's something in this list. I mean, maybe, maybe it's patience, maybe it's peace, maybe it's self-control, maybe it's being gentle, maybe something that the Holy Spirit kind of points out to you that you, that you use from, from this fruit list that we have in your relationships this week. Maybe it's something that that's, you already identify, hey, this is something that I struggle with, and this is something that I could use at work or at home, or maybe I need to be a little bit more self-controlled. Maybe I need to be a little bit more gentle in my speech with someone else. And use that as a way and see how that changes, not, not just your interaction with someone else, but how it changes your heart and how it starts to nurture you and fill you the way that God has intended for us to experience his joy. We bear fruit when we produce on purpose. I mean, it, it's something, uh, you, know, you know that mind-blowing pineapple that I mentioned earlier? That didn't just happen by accident. And people tended that. I mean, they did it on purpose. They grew it, and they knew how to take care of it. They knew how to, they knew how to um, get it to a plate to where it would be the best thing that, one of the best things I've ever tasted in my life. It didn't happen by accident. People took the time to bring it to, to fruition. They put into practice what was necessary to get that result. Bearing fruit as a disciple of Jesus doesn't just happen just because we believe that Jesus is the king. It happens because we live that Jesus is the king of our hearts and guiding us to what is God's best. Just as there are best practices for tending to a vine, there are best practices for doing what God has called and enabled us to do. And so I just want to encourage you to put bearing fruit on the calendar. Put it on the calendar. 
and say, hey, this is, this is the thing, this is the fruit of the Spirit that I'm going to work on this week, you know, in my relationships with other people. Uh, maybe it's just, serve, you know, one of the easiest things that you can put on the counter is serving within the assembly together of believers, within, within the church, and just putting it on the counter and saying, hey, this is, this is a way that I can really tangibly bear fruit, give me the opportunity to work on the fruit of the Spirit and, and do these things with kids or media or youth group or what, what, I mean, whatever the case may be. I mean, it's just easy, tangible ways for us to do exactly what God has called us, called us to do, to lay down one's life for one's friends, to partner together to produce the fruit that God has called us to. Look, we can stumble into these things by accident. I mean, there's wild blackberries that grow by the road near, near, uh, near our house. Ask us how much we get to enjoy them. Not, not really, because they're all in the midst of poison ivy, and, and we get that, you know, I don't go near that stuff. Um, so th- these things can happen by accident, but godly discipline and intentionality with what we say, think, and do is what produces the fruit that God plants within our lives. And when a plant is properly cared for, nutrients are provided to it, it can't help but produce fruit. And a life that is connected to Jesus can't, just can't help but bear the fruit of his glory. As our character changes, as our morality, our ethics, our thinking, our worldview, our mental model shift to who he has called us to be, uh, every part of our being begins to bear the fruit of pointing to God's glory. And this is what it means to bear fruit as a follower of Jesus. Let's be branches that stay connected to the vine. And let's be looking for the purpose that we have in producing the fruit that God calls us to do, the fruit of love in our relationships, and the fruit of pointing other people to the reason for that love that we share and that we have. The fruit that we are called to bear as followers of Jesus produces that love, and that love in turn brings God's will to earth just as it is in heaven. Let's pray. God, as we uh, share in this moment together of worshiping you uh, as we gather together as a, as a body of believers. God, we're so, um, so in need of moments where we pause from everything else that's going on and we focus in on who you are and who you have called us to be. And God, we know that apart from you, we, we can't do this on our own. I mean, it's, it's not something that we leave this place and we just have the strength of will to create all these good things in our life, but we need the indwelling of your Holy Spirit to produce these things in our life. And so God, help us to see the, the uh, distractions that come, come in our lives, the things that are, you know, maybe that we um, fill our lives with, but are just not, not nutrients that help us to grow, help us to see what needs to be pruned in our life so that we can be who you called us to be, and, and therefore experience the joy that you have created us to experience with you. And God, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.